Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everybody, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan. I'm here today with Chelsea and Brad, uh, and we are going through a couple different passages today. Uh, We're going to start in Zephaniah. We're going to be in Jeremiah a little bit. We're going to hear a little bit about Josiah from 2 Chronicles. Um, It feels like this is another one of those days where it's like, man, there is a lot of judgment in in these passages. It feels like kind of a heavy passage. And even what happens to Josiah is kind of like, oh, man, that's a downer. (laughs) Um, So as we're reading over these passages, what stuck out to you guys? I certainly see, um, you know, that criticism that I think I hear a lot of, you know, the God of the Old Testament is just all about destroying places. And you see that he's he's comes against Moab. He actually says the whole town will be destroyed. The promising youths are doomed to slaughter. Like, you know, that's pretty grim. Even the shiny ones. Right. So how would you answer this question for somebody who reading this or hearing this and going, God is just slaughtering whole towns. How is that a God I want to serve? I think it has a lot to do with um, God's incredible quality and characteristic of justice. I mean, I can't think off the top of my head of what Moab and Ammon were like as far as I mean, I know they were serving other gods, and I know that they were not kind at all to the people of Israel, um, but God's justice is always warranted. Uh, and we talked about earlier that there were refugees mentioned, so it wasn't complete genocide, kind of like in, I guess it's Exodus, when the Lord commands Israel to go invade Canaan. Um, they aren't completely destroying everything. It's like kind of hyperbole. So... I think it's funny that you use the word hyperbole. Like, I think that there's like definitely, I think that God definitely issued judgments that would make us as modern people in the modern age, pretty uncomfortable with what's happening. Like, I think he did wipe out cities and people groups and all that kinds of stuff. But I do think that a lot of times these apocalyptic kind of prophecies are hyperbole. Like there's a lot of sweeping judgment. Like, for example, you're going to get out of the trap, but then you're going to get caught in a snare. It's like, Okay, well, this is intense because yeah. God wants people to understand the judgment that's coming is severe, it's horrible, and it's for all people. And so what actually happened, I, I do think there were refugees. It actually says that in mm-hmm. this passage that there's refugees. And so you don't have refugees in a situation where God wipes out everybody. However, we still end up with needing to reconcile like, okay, but God still did judge people broad scale, uh, full cities, full nations. So how do we deal with that? Yeah, so I'm going to ask the question that I'm thinking the listeners are yeah. asking is, you know, we see this time where God's judgment came around cities, around people groups. Is that something that God still does today? Does he look at people groups and say, oh, this is a problem or this is good? Or is it somehow, is that changed? Ooh, I'm going to defer to the pastors on this. <laughs> well, yesterday, so yesterday we read Habakkuk, and I actually think Habakkuk is a really great book to look at for this question specifically. Um, Because what's happening in Habakkuk is that God is saying, hey, I'm going to judge your people, Habakkuk's people, like the people of Judah. And in order to judge those people, I'm going to use an even more evil people. 
and I'm going to raise up the Babylonians who are very wicked. They're going to judge the people of Judah, and then I'm going to judge the Babylonians. And so Habakkuk looks at this, and at first he gets frustrated because he's like, um, how is it okay that you're going to judge our people with even more wicked people? And basically in, in chapter three of Habakkuk, this is to answer your question. This is just all to give like a little bit of perspective, <laughs> but the actual answer is in, in Habakkuk three, Habakkuk basically says like, oh, I get it. I'm not actually going to see all this play out in my lifetime because God's lifetime is endless. God's reign is eternal. So Habakkuk is just this short little picture of like, okay, I have a lot of these questions. Um, does why, why is God letting these evil people rule? How will he judge the Babylonians? Why can't I see him stop the Babylonians? And Habakkuk's answer is, you know what? I'm probably not going to see any of it happen, but that means that God is still faithful and God is still just and God is still right in what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So in our day, when we say like, well, does God still do this? Yes, I think God still does this. Uh, could it be that we're in a period where maybe it doesn't happen as much? Could it be that we're in a period where we see it a lot? Um, I think it, there's no mistake that God's at work. One of the interesting things about these passages is this is God judging nations that aren't even Israel. They're not even Jewish people. He's judging Moab. He's judging, uh, where else? Oh, geez. Ammon. 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 Yeah. So God is at work in the whole world. He didn't for some reason just stop that. Right. Um, but what we see is just a blip on the screen. And it's funny because what we see is our perspective. Like what we see is how we shape our view of God, but it's only this tiny little piece. Right. And we have no reason to believe that moving from Old Testament to New Testament to now that God stopped being involved in the affairs of the nations. I mean, you just think about this. There was no judgment on Rome, but judgment came to Rome well after the New Testament was finished. And so, I mean, I would I would call that an act of God. <laughs> but outside, right? outside all of their lifetimes. Right, exactly. And so we're in a period of relative peace. A lot of people point to that we're actually in the most peaceful period in the history of the world. Um, so there's not a lot of nation shaping and shifting, mm -hmm. but that shouldn't make us believe that there won't be. And I'm going to go on the other side. I think yeah. all, what you said is absolutely correct that God does hand does still shape nations. But I think even in these verses and we have other places in the old Testament to say that he still looks at the individual too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That it does, it's kind of written that it's the whole city of Moab or the whole city of Ammon, but we have evidence of other times that that's not really the case, that it really is God looking at individual people and kind of this is more the metaphor of how the people outside the city may have experienced it, but God's hand was certainly in it of saying these people versus these people. Mm -hmm. We see that sometimes where, where God's talking to prophets and saying like, Hey, if you can find 10 righteous people, I'll relent. That's right. Um, so I think the, the call for personal relationship with God remains and also the, the call for corporate righteousness before God remains. So at some point I can't find it in the reading today, but it says the people who are left will be humble um, there'll be no more proud and arrogant people there. And that's the remnant of Israel, um, that God's going to protect. So there is this, like you said, there's this remnant of people who are believing and trusting in the Lord and following him, um, that the Lord's protecting.
Zephaniah 2, beginning in verse 8. I have heard the taunts of the Moabites and the insults of the Ammonites, mocking my people and invading their borders. Now, as surely as I live, says the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, Moab and Ammon will be destroyed, destroyed as completely as Sodom and Gomorrah. Their land will become a place of stinging nettles, salt pits, and eternal desolation. The remnant of my people will plunder them and take their land. They will receive the wages of their pride, for they have scoffed at the people of the Lord of heaven's armies. The Lord will terrify them as he destroys all the gods in the land. Then the nations around the world will worship the Lord, each in their own land. You Ethiopians will also be slaughtered by my sword, says the Lord. And the Lord will strike the lands of the north with his fist, destroying the land of Assyria. He will make its great capital Nineveh a desolate wasteland, parched like the desert. The proud city will become a pasture for flocks and herds, and all sorts of wild animals will settle there. The desert owl and screech owl will roost on its ruined columns, their calls echoing through the gaping windows. Rubble will block all the doorways, and the cedar paneling will be exposed to the weather. This is the boisterous city once so secure. I am the greatest, it boasted. No other city can compare with me. But now look how it has become such an utter ruin, a haven for wild animals. Everyone passing will laugh in derision and shake a defiant fist. What sorrow awaits rebellious, polluted Jerusalem, the city of violence and crime? No one can tell it anything, for it refuses all correction. It does not trust in the Lord or draw near to its God. Its leaders are like roaring lions hunting for their victims. Its judges are like ravenous wolves at evening time, who by dawn have left no trace of their prey. Its prophets are arrogant liars, seeking their own gain. Its priests defile the temple by disobeying God's instructions. But the Lord is still there in the city, and he does no wrong. Day by day he hands down justice, and he will, does not fail. But the wicked know no shame. I have wiped out many nations, devastating their fortress walls and towers. Their streets are now deserted. Their cities lie in silent ruin. There are no survivors, none at all. I thought, surely they will have reverence for me now. Surely they will listen to my warnings. Then I won't need to strike again, destroying their homes. But no, they get up early to continue their evil deeds. Therefore, be patient, says the Lord. Soon I will stand and accuse these evil nations, for I have decided to gather the kingdoms of the earth and pour out my fiercest anger and fury on them. All the earth will be just devoured by my fire of my jealousy. Then I will purify the speech of all people so that everyone can worship the Lord together. My scattered people who live beyond the rivers of Ethiopia will come to present their offerings. On that day, you will no longer need to be ashamed, for you will no longer be rebels against me. I will remove all proud and arrogant people from among you. There will be no more haughtiness on my holy mountain. Those who are left will be the lowly and humble, for it is they who trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong. They will never tell lies or deceive one another. They will eat and sleep in safety, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the enemy armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the king of Israel, will live among you. At last your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will del take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I will gather you who mourn for the appointed festivals. You will be disgraced no more. And I will deal, deal severely with all who have oppressed you. I will save the weak and helpless ones. I will bring together those who are chased away. I will give glory and fame to my former exiles, wherever they have been mocked and shamed. On that day, I will gather you together and bring you home again. I will give you a good name, a name of distinction among all the nations of the earth. 
As I restore your fortunes before their very eyes, I, the Lord, have spoken. Second Chronicles chapter 35, starting in verse 20. After Josiah had finished restoring the temple, King Necho of Egypt led his army away from Egypt to do battle at Carchemish on the Euphrates River, and Josiah and his army marched out to fight him. But King Necho sent messengers to Josiah with this message. What do you want with me, king of Judah? I have no quarrel with you today. I'm on my way to fight another nation, and God has told me to hurry. Do not interfere with God who is with me, or he will destroy you. But Josiah refused to listen to Necho, to whom God had indeed spoken, and he would not turn back. Instead, he disguised himself and led his army into battle on the plains of Megiddo. But the enemy archers hit King Josiah with their arrows and wounded him. He cried out to his men, Take me from the battle, or for I am so badly wounded. So they lifted Josiah out of his chariot and placed him in another chariot. Then they brought him back to Jerusalem where he died. He was buried there in the royal cemetery. All of Judah and Jerusalem mourned for him. The prophet Jeremiah composed funeral songs for Josiah, and to this day choirs still sing these sad songs about his death. These songs of sorrow have become a tradition and are recorded in the Book of Laments. The rest of the events of Josiah's reign and his acts of devotion, carried out according to what was written in the law of the Lord, from beginning to end, are all recorded in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. 2 Kings 23, verse 29. While Josiah was king, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the Euphrates River to help the king of Assyria. King Josiah and his army marched out to fight him, but King Necho killed him when they met at Megiddo. Josiah's officers took his body back in a chariot from Megiddo to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. Then the people of the land anointed Josiah's son, Jehoaz, and made him the next king. Jeremiah chapter 47, starting in verse 1. This is the Lord's message to the prophet Jeremiah concerning the Philistines of Gaza before it was captured by the Egyptian army. This is what the Lord says. A flood is coming from the north to overflow the land. It will destroy the land and everything in it, cities and people alike. People will scream in terror, and everyone in the land will wail. Hear the clatter of the stallion's hooves and rumble of wheels as chariots rush by. Terrified fathers run madly, without a backward glance at their helpless children. The time has come for the Philistines to be destroyed, along with their allies from Tyre and Sidon. Yes, the Lord is destroying the remnant of the Philistines, those colonists from the island of Crete. Gaza will be humiliated and its head shaved bald. Ashkelon will lie silent. You remnant from the Mediterranean coast, how long will you cut yourselves in mourning? Now, O sword of the Lord, when will you be at rest again? Go back into your sheath, rest and be still. But how can it be still when the Lord has sent it on a mission? For the city of Ashkelon and the people living along the sea must be destroyed. This message was given concerning Moab. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. What sorrow awaits the city of Nebo? It will soon lie in ruins. The city of Kirathim will be humiliated and captured. The fortresses will be humiliated and broken down. No one will ever brag about Moab again, for in Heshbon there is a plot to destroy her. Come, they say, we will cut her off from being a nation. The town of madmen, too, will be silenced. The sword will follow you there. Listen to the cries of Horonim, cries of devastation and great destruction. All Moab is destroyed. Her little ones will cry out. Her refugees weep bitterly, climbing the slope to Lahuth. They cry out in terror, descending the slope to Hornaim. Flee for your lives. Hide in the wilderness. Because you have trusted in your wealth and skill, you will be taken captive. Your god Shemash, with his priests and officials, will be hauled off into distant lands. 
All the towns will be destroyed, and no one will escape, either on the plateaus or in the valleys. For the Lord has spoken. Oh, that Moab had wings so she could fly away, for her towns will be left empty, with no one living in them. Cursed are those who refuse to do the Lord's work, who hold back their swords from shedding blood. From his earliest history, Moab has lived in peace, never going into exile. He is like wine that has been allowed to settle. He has not been poured from flask to flask, and he is now fragrant and smooth. But the time is coming soon, says the Lord, when I will send men to pour him out from his jar. They will pour him out and shatter the jar. At last, Moab will be ashamed of his idol Shamash, as the people of Israel were ashamed of their gold calf at Bethel. You used to boast, we are heroes, mighty men of war, but now Moab and his towns will be destroyed. His most promising youth are doomed to slaughter, says the king, whose name is the Lord of Heaven's armies. Destruction is coming fast for Moab. Calamity threatens ominously. You friends of Moab weep for him and cry. See how strong his scepter is broken, how the beautiful staff is shattered. Come down from your glory and sit in the dust, you people of Dibon. For those who destroy Moab will shatter Dibon too. They will tear down all your towers. You people of Aurora, stand beside the road and watch. Shout to those who flee from Moab. What has happened there? And the reply comes back. Moab lies in ruins, disgraced. Weep and wail. Tell it by the banks of the Arnon River. Moab has been destroyed. Judgment has been poured out on the towns of the plateau. On Holon and Jahaz and Mepha. On Dibon and Nebo and Beth Diblathame and on Kirathame and Beth-Gamel, and Beth-Mion, on Kirioth and Basra, all the towns of Moab, far and near. The strength of Moab has ended. His arm has been broken, says the Lord. Let him stagger and fall like a drunkard, for he has rebelled against the Lord. Moab will wallow in his own vomit, ridiculed by all. Did you not ridicule the people of Israel? Were they caught in the company of thieves, that you would despise them as you do? You people of Moab, flee from your towns and live in the caves. Hide like doves that nest in the clefts of the rocks. We have all heard of the pride of Moab, for his pride is very great. We know of his lofty pride, his arrogance, and his haughty heart. I know about his insolence, says the Lord, but his boasts are empty, as empty as his deeds. So now I wail for Moab. Yes, I will mourn for Moab. My heart is broken for the men of Kirhasheth. You people of Sibma... Rich in vineyards, I will weep for you even more than I did for Jazir. Your spreading vines once reached out as far as the Dead Sea, but the destroyer has stripped you bare. He has harvested your grapes and summer fruits. Joy and gladness are gone from fruitful Moab. The presses yield no wine. No one treads the grapes with shouts of joy. There is shouting, yes, but not of joy. Instead, their awful cries of terror can be heard from Heshbon clear across to Elia and Jahaz. From Zor all the way to Hornaim, to Iglath-Shishliah, even the waters of Nimrim are dried up now. I will put an end to Moab, says the Lord, for the people offer sacrifices at the pagan shrines and burn incense to their false gods. My heart moans like a flute for Moab and Kirhasheth, for all their wealth has disappeared. The people shave their heads and beards in mourning. They slash their hands and put on clothes made of burlap. There is crying and sorrow in every Moabite home in every street. For I have smashed Moab like an old unwanted jar, how it is shattered. Hear the wailing. See the shame of Moab. It has become an object of ridicule, an example of ruin to all its neighbors. This is what the Lord says. Look, the enemy swoops down like an eagle, spreading its wings over Moab. Its cities will fall, and its strongholds will be seized. 
Even the mightiest warriors will be in anguish like a woman in labor. Moab will no longer be a nation, for it has boasted against the Lord. Terror and traps and snares will be your lot, O Moab, says the Lord. Those who flee in terror will fall into a trap, and those who escape the trap will step into a snare. I will see to it that you do not get away. For the time of your judgment has come, says the Lord. The people flee as far as Heshbon, but are unable to go on. For a fire comes from Heshbon, King Sihon's ancient home, to devour the entire land with all its rebellious people. What sorrow awaits you, O people of Moab? The people of the god of Shemash are destroyed. Your sons and your daughters have been taken away as captives. But I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the days to come. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is the end of Jeremiah's prophecy concerning Moab. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcasts at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.